Do you want to make games? Join the WVU Game Developers Club. They meet every Thursday at 6.30 in the Evansville Crossing, room 412. No prior experience is necessary. They help you make your first game, regardless of what background you have. Uh, everyone is welcome. You can check them out on Twitter at WVUGDC. Also check out their Facebook page. We hope to see you there. Hey, and welcome to Game Talk, episode 16. I'm your host, Ambid Mion. Today I'm joined by Connor Haynes. Hi, guys. And Michael Dumeyer. Oh. Um, our first topic for today is going to be Windows Mixed Reality, and uh, Connor seems to be smitten by it, so I'll just turn it over to him. Windows Mixed Reality is Microsoft's take on high-end VR, so it's up there with like the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift. But um, what Microsoft did, and I think it's brilliant, is that they made a specification that uh, companies like Dell, Lenovo, Asus, Samsung meet with hardware. And uh, basically, you have that what that does is it introduces a lot of competition into the virtual reality market. And uh, what it's done most, most obviously to me is it's driven costs down. Um, so, like... I was able to pick up a Lenovo Explorer, which is an HTC Vive level experience for like two hundred fifty dollars, which is huge to me. And it's also yeah, that's that's a bargain price, putting it lightly. Yeah, uh, mixed reality's only been out for like two months now, and they're already five percent of the VR market. So when I hear mixed reality, I think of virtual reality mixed with augmented reality. Is is Windows mixed reality that? Or is it just right, called mixed so reality for another reason? It's called mixed reality because they want to put their virtual reality and their augmented reality under the same umbrella. But the headset that I bought, the Lenovo Explorer, is Windows mixed reality, but it's purely virtual reality. It doesn't for have now. Any, it does. Or are there I don't plans believe to? The, I don't believe the hardware I bought is ever going to support augmented reality. Okay. But it does have cameras on it. It's a possibility. But I'm pretty sure augmented reality is just the HoloLens right now. But the HoloLens is classified under mixed reality as well. Okay. So what, what, what would you say is the biggest difference between Windows, MR, and like other high-end VR sets? So you don't have to set up a bunch of sensors with Windows mixed reality. Um, basically the setup, it's, all, it's what's called inside-out tracking, which means that there are two cameras on the headset that track your position in the room and also the hand controllers. So instead of having, uh, I think they're called lighthouses with the HTC Vive or the cameras with uh, the Oculus Rift, you just walk around the room with your headset in your hands to map out the room, and then you're done. That's, that's pretty that's incredible. Setup. That seem, honestly, that seems like a next-gen quote-unquote VR feature to me. Right. Like I feel um, like most headsets sets should do that going forward. I'm a big fan of it because I tend to, like, I want to bring my virtual reality to our club game nights and things like that, and I don't have to pack up as much equipment to do that now. All I have is the headset and the hand controllers. Right. And uh, how do the games look? Uh, um, it's actually higher resolution than the Vive uh, with the same field of view, and it plays Steam VR. So Nice. Okay. It has access to all those games. Allegedly, you can get Oculus Home to work with it with Revive the same way you can for the Vive. I haven't yet. So a pretty robust catalog of games in high quality is what you're right. saying. Right, and they're also Microsoft's um, exclusives. So, like, there's a Halo game for Windows Mixed Reality. Right, right, right. And okay. you can only play that on a Mixed Reality headset. You couldn't play that on a Vive or awesome. a Rift. Awesome, you know? You know, I'm kind of surprised, just veering in the direction of 
Microsoft and consoles and stuff. I'm surprised there isn't some sort of VR integration with the One X. Xbox I'm, I'm One X. shocked that Windows Mixed Reality headsets don't work. Because this, on when, the when One you're X. talking about it, it sounds like a perfect like match, you know. Because um, another thing about Windows Mixed Reality is that it does not have as high um, system requirements as the Rift and the really. Vive. So it's just a like a marvel of engineering then. It has um, well, I believe it is better optimized in some ways. Like I think the inside-out tracking is somehow better. Um, but I don't understand that enough to talk about it. What I can say is that they have a, they have what's called Ultra VR mode and VR mode. Ultra Instinct VR. Oh yeah. Oh, for those that missed it, it's a Dragon Ball Super reference. Um, but um, Ultra VR is HTC Vive level, Oculus Rift level, where normal VR is closer to oh, mobile. Oh wow! But like you can run it on a surface. So they have different toggleable like. Tiers of VR. I don't know if of. it's toggleable. I think it's determined by, by the game or something. It's by the yeah. Like certain games can only run in Ultra VR, um, but like there are some simpler like you can watch VR video and stuff on a laptop. If wow. You know, okay. Up to it. So it's closer to mobile VR, sort of, but the same headset can do both. Yeah, this seems like a sort of wide umbrella catch-all VR set right, that so like, can do pretty much. Anything you'd want to with a VR set. Yeah, I'm very into it. Like, Ultra VR, uh, just an example of the difference. Ultra VR is 90 hertz, uh, so 90 frames per second. And normal VR mode is only 60 frames per second. So you're more like... Yeah, you're going to yeah, want 90 hertz for any sort of VR. Um, so I remember earlier, maybe like sometime late last year, you were talking about getting a Vive. Are you satisfied that you got this instead? or? I am, yeah. Honestly, I think... Some of the stuff I've read makes me feel like I have a better experience than a Vive. Um, so the tracking, I've heard people complain about a little bit because um, it can track your hands when they're not in front of you, but the tracking is way less accurate. And like for a couple of seconds, that's fine. But if like if you have your hand behind your back doing something for thirty seconds, the headset can't see it. Mm, okay. And uh, you're gonna lose tracking. And um, I'm a little disappointed. The hand controllers are powered by AA batteries, uh, and I kind of hate that. Very I wish archaic. They were rechargeable, yeah. I mean, I guess it's nice. Still, for a, like a first VR effort, it seems pretty incredible, right? Right, but I would kill for a USB chargeable battery pack yeah. to toss in there. When did this release? Just uh, I think it was in like November or December. I'm shocked that it was a I, very quiet release. Yeah, to I'm, who I aren't. didn't hear about it. Yeah. I, the first I heard about it f was from you. Yeah, and I'm pretty in tune with, you know, gaming news and that sort of thing. So that kind of shocked me. If you didn't have your ear to the ground, they didn't make. Um, they did release like the reason they're so cheap right now. The MSRP is higher than two hundred fifty dollars. The reason they're cheap right now is because Microsoft, like a bunch of companies, bundled. A bunch of companies bundled headsets with laptops. Yeah. And so a bunch of people were returning the headsets to try to get their money back, you know, to try I to see. make their laptop a little cheaper, which is why the headsets are so affordable right now. It's going to, the prices are going to go back up. Wow. And the prices, it's about the, it's 400 bucks ish for most of them. Uh, the Samsung Odyssey has higher specs than the rest. It's got a higher resolution. And it's 650, I think. It's like, I think it's more expensive than the Vive. No, but, like, hearing all of this is super cool because we started this show around April last year, and one of our first topics was VR, and we kept saying how VR 
right now it's kind of niche, but it's going to become ma- more mainstream. All these different companies are going to make sets, and now we have Microsoft and Samsung and like pretty much any mobile manufacturer having their own set. Right, you know? and, and I think it's huge. It's, it's getting to where we thought it was going to be. There's like, all sorts of different VR solutions out right now. There's software to try to get um, mobile VR to work with your PC to play Steam VR games. It exists. It's just not very good yet, but yeah. it's it's out there. They're trying. Oh yeah, that will certainly just be another huge selling point to like a mainstream consumer, like seamless VR between your mobile device and your PC. You know, that's a very appealing sort of thing. Right. Because a lot of kind of the uh, what turns a lot of people off is like the unnecessary hoops you have to jump through to just get stuff working. And if right. if that can be ironed out with like a software release. That will just make VR more appealing. Right. Like, I ha- there are a few little things that have been um, annoying about Windows Mixed Reality. Um, one thing is it's very difficult, and I think this might be true of Steam VR too, but it's difficult, like, when you're in a game, if you need to look at something on your desktop, that's difficult. Um, I actually think it might be easier in Mixed Reality because Mixed Reality, it um, the headset actually looks a lot like PSVR with the halo kind of thing, yeah. the crown, but uh, it has a hinge on it so that um, you can rotate 90 degrees up Ooh, without yeah. taking the headset That's off. That's convenient, yeah. And it also I love how, like, the further we get into the VR discussion, the more intelligent the headset designs are. Right. Like, makes me excited to see what, what will come. How it, is it, like, comfort-wise? Just curious. It's fairly comfortable. The foam that came in mind was fairly cheap, I think. I think it's already wearing out, but it's Velcroed in, so you can replace okay. it. Nice. But um, And, like, weight? Like, is it heavy on your head or does it fit? It's not real heavy, no. Okay. I I'm I don't find it un yeah I don't find it any more uncomfortable than a pair of headphones probably. Oh, okay, that's really good. Yeah. Um. The only thing I I forgot to mention this when I was listing the cons is that you can't use it in a dark room. It doesn't work. So um. Oh. Okay. Even even that's my, interesting. Because it uses the cameras to track mm. the room. And uh, it's it's actually bothered me a couple of times. I'll be playing a game, and I'll just be in VR and not notice that the sun goes down. And I'll not have the lights on in my room, and I'll just lose tracking. Yeah, even so, like uh, PlayStation VR, for instance, uses LED tracking, and obviously that's not going to be as precise. But you can play in the dark. You right, know? you can't play in the dark with a uh, Windows Mixed Reality. In fact, uh, my room is dimly lit by a lamp, and sometimes I lose tracking oh, because wow. of that. It's uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, well, just again, this is a sort of generation one vr release right right like the next one they release will probably address all these solutions i imagine and add higher quality of life features right i think um i think it's crazy that they're five percent of the market now that's huge in the vr market yeah they're and that's i mean that's only in the steam hardware survey so people that don't use steam aren't registered in that at all yeah so that's that's huge to me. Five percent in two months yeah. compared to Vibes. How long has the Vibe been out? Two years. It's been out for a while. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. The three biggest, obviously, are still Vive, Oculus, and PSVR. But it's yeah. cool to see other I think, brands I think mixed creeping up there. Going to catch up. It's it's definitely in the discussion now. Because every time I see, uh, I follow the virtual reality subreddit, and every time somebody's like, oh, I'm torn between the Vive and the Rift. Somebody comes in as like, hey, mixed reality exists. It's cheaper. It's better. Well, it's better in some ways. It, the tracking is still better on the Vive, but um, I don't notice it. I don't notice it ever being an issue. 
Um, I guess uh, I should describe the controllers that are standard as well. Um, sure. Yeah. So they have two grips. They have like a trigger and a grip, much like the Vive does. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And um, they have a a touchpad, a menu button, and a control stick. So it kind of has the best of the Oculus touch controllers as well as the Vive ones, I think. It has all the buttons between those two. Nice. Uh, Michael, you seemed like you wanted to say something a while back. Do you still do you have any comments on Windows Mixed Reality? I <clears throat> was going to ask for a clarification about which one used the batteries. It's the, it's the hand controllers, not the headset. For which device? The... Um, the Lenovo Explorer is what I have. So your mixed reality. Yeah, mixed reality. Wouldn't that be awful batteries. if the headset used double A batteries? Yeah, that would be. Looking that would be terrible. Wireless, wireless VR is on the way. Don't yeah. don't count it out. That's coming. Well, yeah, that can be another topic. But uh, the HTC Vive Mark II or whatever it's the, know, HTC the Pro, Vive Pro, yeah, is is wireless. So no, it's not. Is, is it the not? Vive Pro and the wireless adapter are separate. Oh well, it has a wireless option. Yes, but so does the original Vive. Oh, it doesn't? It works. Okay. The Vive, the wireless <laughs> adapter works for the Vive and the Vive Pro. Okay, cool. And there's also um, already on the market is something called TP Cast that does the same thing, but it's three hundred dollars. Mm. Uh, there isn't anything like that for mixed reality. Yeah. Yet. Sooner or later, that'll be built into the VR. Oh, set. that's another thing I should say. Once um, Windows is excited, or Microsoft is my, Windows is the software, Microsoft's the company. I got it. Um, they're excited for wireless VR because there is nothing, you don't have to have trackers on Windows Mixed Reality, so there's nothing stopping them from mapping out an entire building Oh, once it's wireless. That's nuts. Yeah. There's no li- there's no constraint on the size. Oh, can you, my imagination, when you say this, my imagination just runs wild. Right. Imagine, like, renting out a warehouse and playing, like, a giant. A giant first-person shooter yeah, or something. Like yeah, like, something crazy like that. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, we're still quite a bit away from that scale, but we're I mean, heading there, I think. I you don't know? quite a ways, you say, I think we're a year or two from that. That's super exciting. Because wireless VR is happening, and that's the only barrier for uh, for them. I guess range on the wireless VR. Yeah, that's going to be a huge challenge. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I'm so, uh, I love virtual reality, and I love that, the fact that it's growing at the rate it is, and a lot of naysayers early on in VR's lifespan said it was just a fad, and I really don't think it is, and I think I don't it's proving to be something greater than a fad with what we're seeing, all these different releases and the sales numbers and all of that, so. Yeah, I agree. Super exciting. Anything else you want to say? Uh, I think I've said my piece about it. All right, so our next topic is going to be speedrunning. Um... Speedrunning is a very interesting thing that has sort of uh, cropped up in gamer culture. And the idea of a speedrun is basically beating the game as quickly as possible under certain rules. So speedrunning has become especially prevalent for games like Mario, uh, pretty much all the 3D Marios, I think is safe to say, and and uh, 2D Marios as well, just Mario in general, uh, is a very popular speedrunning game. Um, and entire sort of communities have been built around speedrunning certain games, uh, constantly sort of competing with each other to shave seconds off like the world record time. And it's become a really sort of niche 
but involved subculture in gaming, and I just kind of wanted to talk about that today. I know, Michael, you actually do speedruns. Yeah, I've <laughs> done two speedruns. I hold a record in Mass Effect 3 now, narrative any percent, new game, because there's two categories. And uh, so, speedrunning. Uh, just quickly, sorry. Uh, can you explain what any percent is? Any percent is complete the game, just beat the game. No conditions, just beat the game as fast as possible. Okay. No limits to what you need to do. No, don't gather everything. Just go. Don't stop. Beat the game. Reach the ending scene. That's time. So you got the world record for Mass Effect 3 any percent. And wh like, what was the time on that? that My time was 3.13.46, I think. Okay. I mean, that's pretty freaking fast considering it, be, it took me like 30 hours to beat Mass Effect 3. So, congrats. Yeah. I, um... I don't speedrun, but I keep track of the community a little bit. I like to watch games done quick. But uh, an interesting thing I saw yesterday was that the Super Mario Bros. Uh, world record has brought has been brought within milliseconds of the theoretical fastest possible speed. Like it is, I saw that as well. It's several frames off of it's the like fastest. Six, it's six potential frames off, I think. Yeah, of the fastest a human being could possibly play the game. So. If a person was to beat that record, they would literally have to execute every input to the perfection of the level of a machine. Right. Which is I mean, just wild. I've seen it called the moon landing of gaming. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous that people can do that. And I think it was like, what, three minutes in, or two minutes in some I have seconds? no idea. It I was, seen it. It was a very brief, obviously, run through. But that, that just goes to show that the level of dedication that a lot of these speedrunners have to their craft... Um, uh, another another sort of interesting aspect to speedrunning is uh, just the discovery of certain glitches that let you save time. Uh, like, for instance, I was watching a documentary on Super Mario 64 speedrunning, and <clears throat> oftentimes, like, the speedrunning community would be at a standstill for several months or a year or so until a new glitch was discovered that would let them bypass a section or reduce... Uh, like the time considerably in another in, in another section, and then like the sort of the competition to be fastest would resume. Right, I've um a lot of times these glitches come out, and they also fracture the community a little bit uh, with routing. For instance, um, The Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker. There's something called barrier skip that allows you when you um in the game. There's a point where you're in you're below the ocean. You're in Hyrule. And there's a barrier that you're not supposed to be able to get through. But if you could theoretically get through that barrier, you would be able to go fight Ganon. Um, and people have figured out how to get through it, but it's incredibly unreliable. You can lose a lot of time trying to trigger the glitch. And then once you get past there, um, you're supposed to have some items to get to Ganon that you will not have. So you have to use another series of incredibly complicated bugs to get to Ganon. So theoretically, if you could pull it off, using that bug would be the fastest way, but it's so difficult that, like, most most people, and these, these speedrunners are amazing. Like, the, the things they can do are incredible, and this is still too hard for them to be able to do. Yeah. that's It's <clears throat> crazy that, like, the discovery of these glitches, it, it really sort of branches things out. Then, like, the speedrunners have to consider, is it worth, like, attempting this very risky glitch, or should I just try and be like, pixel-perfect and frame-perfect on, like, a normal run-through and stuff like that. Right. 
that's where the terms like consistent glitch and very inconsistent glitch come from. Because if a glitch is very consistent, you can do it reliably every time. And most it, most routes include a lot of consistent glitches. If it's inconsistent, it's going to be either an individual level run where you just want to run that level because that's the shortest run you could do. And if you miss the glitch, you wasted maybe, like what, a minute or so versus like 20 minutes of the run. And people who make world record often get that inconsistent glitch to be consistent for them somehow and then break world record with it. Right. Some of them are just people that throw themselves against the wall until they coincidentally get all the glitches and make it. That's happened before. I've seen that with Super Mario Sunshine World Records. Yeah. Because I, I also like to watch the documentaries about speedruns. honestly They're think that's more interesting yeah. than the speedrun themselves sometimes. Yeah. No, just uh, all of these different games have different speedrunning histories. I also and I, I forget the YouTube guys. Summoning Salt. Summoning Salt, yeah. This YouTuber has really kind of painstakingly documented, like, all of these different game speedrunning histories. So I definitely recommend checking that out if that's something you're interested in. I also think, as a sort of offshoot of speedruns, I think it's interesting, like, uh, Super Mario 64 has, like, the limited A-press runs and everything. And I feel like that's not a speedrun, but the overlapping communities is really interesting. And uh, one that I recently found was um, the no-jump run of Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah, I heard about that. And uh, you can get all but about 100 moons in Super Mario Odyssey without jumping. That's just insane. And that's insane yeah. to me. And there's a lot of overlap between, like, the tricks they use in the that and the tricks speedrunners use. The game was designed that way just blows my mind. I mean, it definitely wasn't designed intentionally that you could beat it without jumping. I don't think that crossed Nintendo's mind. But, yeah, the fact that you can collect, a, like, all moons but 100, like, I feel like... I don't know. It I must, mean, they use a lot of, like... It's just so intelligently designed. A lot of it way. is, like, they do little stuff. That, like, the the way they do it is, at the end of the game, there's someone that has, like, you can view a counter of how many times you've jumped, and they let themselves do any action that doesn't increment that counter. So they're allowed to, like, jump when they use Cappy to possess something. Mm-hmm. And they're allowed okay. to, like, bounce off of Cappy by throwing him and then running onto him. Yeah. So Otherwise, it'd be impossible. Right. The, the yeah. hard parts are the 2D sections, because there's no way to jump in those. Like, there's no... You just can't yeah, do that's, it. that's... They have to yeah. just get around them somehow. And mm-hmm. I think you're allowed to wall jump. That doesn't count as a jump. <clears throat> so there's a lot that they can still do. Yeah. And some games... Some developers actually... Like, so speedrunners are the biggest fans of a game, because you have to be a fan of a game to run it over and over and over and over again. They also know the game the best, yeah. probably even better than the, like, than the developers. The developers for Cuphead have actually done a lot of nerfs to the Steve Beater community because at one point there was a glitch where, it, say, you had the charge shot and some of the faster weapons and some of the slower firing weapons did a lot of damage. If you rapidly switched weapons, you could up the fire rate of those so you could beat bosses in a matter of seconds. The developers got rid of that because they didn't like it and it completely ruined the speedrunning community for obvious reasons. Because sometimes developers don't need to realize that the glitch is there and people will use it. You don't have to patch it out just because you don't like it. Many, like, the people who do that glitch are maybe 1% of the people who will ever play that game or even lower. So it's not going to affect everyone's enjoyment. It's 1% of players who want to play the game really fast for fun that'll use it. So there's no need to patch that out. And a lot of developers actually had that mindset, which is it's a fun glitch. Let's not patch it out. So going off of that um, Cuphead example, uh, what other games are you guys interested in seeing speedruns for? I mean, Odyssey speedruns are super interesting um, because of the routing. 
I think it's interesting to see what moons they decide to go for since there are so many options. Um, I really any 3D Mario game I'm into yeah. as well as Super Mario. Those Bros. are the 3. most sort of popular globally as well. Uh, I'm honestly a fan of like the Soulsborne runs because yeah, there's a lot of just luck and skill that comes into that because sometimes <clears throat> you won't get a good attack pattern, or sometimes the game will just meme you and just kill you instantly because it feels like it. I don't know if that's completely accurate, but yeah, it's Bloodborne will do that. Uh, I've seen it happen. Yeah, Dark Souls runs are certainly very, very tense. I like a uh, Spyro Year of the Dragon 100% run. Because they not only have to collect like all the eggs, they have to collect all the money, they have to do all this different stuff, and they you know they break they go out of bounds still even though they have to collect everything. Like you would think that you know you can't bug your way out of stuff too much because you can't skip anything, mm-hmm. but they still do just to change the routing. Like just it's it's insane what they do. And sometimes in speedrunning communities, sometimes a glitch will come through, and like if there's ninety percent of the game's clips, people aren't going to love that game anymore. So they're going to create a new route where. They don't have to clip anymore. That's why Ocarina of Time has a glitchless category, because the game became so glitchy that it just wasn't fun anymore for some people. So they're like, let's do it without glitches, and let's run it. And there's something really cool about that uh, uh, speedrun style as well, just playing the game as optimally as possible to finish it as quickly as possible. You know, it's just kind. Of, it, it's kind of a cool way to just to see the quote unquote best way to play the game. It really is. It's also just a, a good community. Like, they're so open. Like, nobody hides their secrets. Right. Nobody's As soon as a discovery anything. is made, it's usually posted on some message board because pretty pretty quickly. These guys defend their world records, but they don't defend them in a sense that, like, they don't want other people to challenge them. They defend them in a sense that they, like, when they're beaten, they're going to try to take it back. They yeah. want the world record to be lower. Right. There There is this sense uh, across these speedrunners that... More than anything, more than even holding the world record title for a game, I think they all want to see the shortest possible time this game can be completed in. That's right, like a very human common sentiment, yeah. That, and if there's no competition in a speedrun, it gets really boring. Mass Effect 3, for me, there's no competition. I'm going to be world record holder for probably a year more, because no one's going to run it, other than me. And so there's really no reason for me to go back and push that record lower, because no one else is going to challenge it. And I know that, so what's the point? And some game, the more competitive a speedrun category is, the better off you're going to be, and the more fun you're going to have with it. Yeah, and <clears throat> I'm I'm not someone who's going to speedrun games, but I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching speedruns, and like we mentioned before, watching those speedrunning documentaries. It's a very, it's it's a fascinating and very involved sort of subculture that gaming has evolved speaking of speed running <laughs> yeah uh what he said our next topic is uh sonic the hedgehog and this is the catch-all topic for sonic so we're talking sonic as a character sonic through the games sonic memes all of it so just just to kind of kick it off um Originally, Sonic was a very sort of well-respected and formidable mascot in the gaming industry, right? Like, he was the counterpart to Mario. Yeah, for a I mean, while. he was made to compete with Mario. Right. That was, his, that was his purpose. He was made to compete with Mario in the U.S. Like, Sonic's not big in Japan. He's huge over here because... Is that really true? Yeah, he's not big. 
He's huge over here because he was designed by Sega's marketing department to appeal to America and the West. Yeah, and that being the case, uh, I mean, when the Sonic, when the first Sonic games came out, I, I'm pretty sure they took over the world, right? Everyone loved Sonic 1 through 3, and just the fast 2D platforming was kind of a style that hadn't been seen before, and it was pretty com- pretty competitive with Mario at the time. Right. Um, um, Sonic was a much more forgiving game than Mario in a lot of ways, because, like, you could get hit quite a few times in a Sonic game. As long as you had your rings, you wouldn't die. And, again, the speed factor must have been exhilarating at the time. And like, the no fact other that, games went that quickly. And the fact that you could go back. You, there was multiple routes. You could scroll the screen both directions. You couldn't. You weren't just locked for going one direction, which was amazing. Right, that was novel at the time. And the game looked immensely better than its competitor of Mario in terms of look because they put a lot of effort into that game. Their hardware was stronger, too. They had blast processing. Tell us about blast now. That's a new topic. So as we go forward, though, Sonic, as as Mario did, they all took the leap into 3D gaming, right? And I think a lot of people would argue that's where Sonic sort of becomes iffy. It definitely becomes iffy. I would not say that it's that bad. I would yeah. posit the fact that Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 were excellent games. No, Sonic Adventure was a terrible game. Sonic, Sonic Adventure, Adventure 2, 2 is an okay game. a good game. One, I, will, I will say Sonic Adventure 2 is way better than Sonic Adventure 1, but I personally enjoyed both Sonic Adventure as 1 a kid. is playable as a kid, but coming back to it now, it's borderline unplayable. It didn't I, I, I believe you. I have not come back to it, nor yeah. do I have any intentions of coming back to it. But let's, uh, let's sort of focus on Sonic Adventure 2, because it... I don't know. As a kid... I was super enthralled by both the gameplay and the story, even though the story was just, you know... Hey, Tails, Just Dragon go. Ball. Um, right. Let's, yeah. As an aside, all of Sonic is essentially just Dragon Ball, but, you know, whatever. I mean, okay, you can say that, but, like, having seven magical objects to collect is a trope that's a lot older than Dragon Ball. I mean, powering up and turning golden is a like Dragon that- Ball trope. Is it, though? I mean, was that yeah, not it around is. It before? is certainly okay. Dragon Ball trope. I mean, did uh, did Dragon Ball have a rap about an echidna who doesn't chuckle? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Sonic Adventure 2 had so many cool things going for it. Iconic soundtrack. Sure. I say unironically. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The, the soundtrack for Sonic in general is is catchy, if but but cheesy. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the Knuckles raps, but, like, City Escape, come on. Anything but, uh, that's not a Knuckles rap or regulating the Big the Cat is great. One thing I wanted to bring up was the Chow Garden, uh, which really hasn't been seen since, uh, and I thought was an extremely fun Oh, yeah, I lost aspect to that game. hundreds of hours to the Chow Garden. Yeah. I have to have. Just My like, entire childhood, like, It was a weird, like... That's, the Chow Garden is probably Pokemon the, breeding offshoot, where you just raise these little creatures and, like, bred them and... It made them compete and level up different stats, and it was right. just addicting. And it made you, it padded out the time in the action, like because the action parts of the game were fairly short. The Sonic and the Shadow levels, which are really the meat and potatoes of a, of a <laughs> Sonic game, but the um the Chow Garden really padded it out. Like it gave you a reason to, pl- it gave me a reason to play City Escape a hundred times a day, and I did, like because I was just doing it. And it's probably the reason I'm good at action games to this day, like mechanically is because I played Sonic Adventure 2 like it was my job because I wanted to raise these chow. You got to feed your chow. I did. Yeah. I, I got a chaos chow, did you? Mm-hmm. No, I did not. Oh, man. Oof. Um, not, a, not a real fan. 
No, I'm not. <laughs> but um, yeah, from there, Sonic games kind of fall off a cliff. We in got my Sonic opinion. 06. We got Shadow yeah. the Hedgehog. Sonic Heroes first. Shadow right? the Hedgehog wasn't necessarily a bad game. So Shadow the Hedgehog was a terrible game. I'm just gonna yeah. put that out there. It's it not sucked. Was, it was but edgy, but it had some ideas. That, Everything they learned in Sonic Adventure 2, though, they threw out the window. That being said, little, like, whatever, 13, 14-year-old me thought that was the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, game. it was a good game I, when I was a kid. That game was constantly on my mind. I, I vividly remember going on a vacation with my family, and all I could think about was Shadow the Hedgehog. Like, I wanted to go home just so I could play Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> my friend, uh, who will go unnamed... Uh, he, well, let me back up a little bit. Shadow of the Hedgehog has different endings based off of how you complete the game. And each quote-unquote ending is just a slight deviation in the way you complete the game. So they're not really endings so much as just, like, completing the game in a slightly different way. And there's, like, something like 380 of these endings. My friend got over, like, 320 of them, um, which is just It's psychotic. Like, it can't have been fun. For for him, it might have been. And that kind of leads me to another point. There's this weird phenomenon I'd like to dub the Sonic Trance, in which I feel like people are just weirdly, maybe like kids especially, are just weirdly addicted to Sonic and play it more than it's warranted being played. And I'm certainly guilty of this as a kid. Like, I loved Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah, I, I, I even loved too. Sonic 06. Like I, I loved that game. I can't. I and yeah, even as a kid, I didn't yeah, love Sonic 06. But, yeah, I, I didn't like Sonic 06. And and looking back, I'm just like, what was wrong with me, you know? But it's just like a weird primal instinct to play Sonic, and I, oh, I yeah. kind of want to like throw that out there. When Am Sonic Generations weird? came out, you guys feel the no, same. No, when thing? Sonic Generations came out, and there was a good Sonic game to play again, like it was only a couple of hours before I beat it, but, like, for those couple of hours, I was like, oh, my God, I'm there again. Like, it was like, it's like chasing that high I got as a kid. Like, But is that a, is it a good thing, though? Like, I feel like we were ingesting garbage as kids and just liked it. It's like, it's like when you were little and you wanted your parents to take you to McDonald's. I think, oh, yeah. I equate it's a that lot to, like that. That's I a great analogy. I equate that to Sonic, you know? Like, yeah, yeah it tastes... It tastes wonderful, but it's it's just trash. Yeah, it's pure and adulterated trash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if it's trash. Sonic, Sonic is, Adventure Sonic, Two Sonic has is good pretty parts. trashy. Sonic Mania is amazing. Sonic the the two D Sonics are good games. Yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, Sonic the Sonic the Mania Four. Let's just let's just quickly shift directions. Sonic <sighs> Sonic Mania is probably the best Sonic game ever made. Oh yeah, easily. and it was made. By someone who understood what made Sonic great, you know, and not the, the Chick Fil A of actual, Sonic, <laughs> the actual developers, yeah. And that Sonic Unleashed Sonic levels were really good, like yeah, that Sonic was Generations was good. And there are good 3D Sonic games, like Sonic Generations on PC even has but a mod that ports the Unleashed get, levels in. I just get the feeling that Sonic Team doesn't understand what makes Sonic good. I don't think I mean, they maybe. know, because they constantly go back to you know like. Yeah. Why? Why? Do, you don't need to have Charmy the Bee in the new Sonic game, you know? Like, right. Yeah. Sonic has so many. I mean, Charmy garbage the Bee has characters since Sonic Adventure Two. Since or, Generations. You, yeah. you, you, you know what? He was point. in Shadow. He was in Generations. He just appeared in uh, Generations. You get my point, though. Like, there's so many of these ancillary characters that don't add anything to Sonic. 
Like, Sonic tried once upon a time to become, like, this epic story with, like, all of these characters that do all these things. It worked and, like, with Sonic Adventure 2. I didn't... I, I don't think the story was bad. It was silly. It was campy, but it wasn't bad. No, I enjoyed it. I mean, Eggman like, blows up the moon. Okay, but, but like, like... I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's what makes Sonic great, though. Like, what makes Sonic great is the 2D gameplay, I think. I don't know if I agree with you it's there. Also, what Sega's... do you think makes Sonic great? I, I liked the 3D levels of Sonic Generations. I thought just moving fast and really fluidly through an environment while good music played. I mean, it took no, no thought. Yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't refute that. Yeah. It wasn't... You know, it wasn't mechanically difficult so much, but it was like, it just kind of felt good. And that's what 3D Sonic is. And the thing about Sega and Sonic Team is that they like to swap engines like every other year, almost. Like, Hedgehog Engine only got three Sonic games released, and the abomination that is Mario and Sonic at the 2014 Sochi Olympic Games. Okay, no, I'm going to stop Sonic you right there, <laughs> because I don't remember if it was that one, but one of the Sonic... And one of the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games was a pretty solid minigame the collection. The first one. It wasn't the. It was the second one. The second one, so Sochi. Maybe it was the first Winter Olympic Games. So Sochi, or was it Sochi? I thought it was 2012. But no, 2012 was the first one. Do we Beijing. really want to consider this a Sonic? No, that's not Sonic a Sonic game. game, game. Like, no. it's yeah, it's, it's kind of a spinoff. Yeah, but um, I mean Mario's in it. Yeah. Um. And his name comes first. But yeah, like I don't know, like just to sort of back up my argument that like Sonic Team is like going down the wrong avenues. Like, what's the point of having a create your own character function in the new Sonic? Well, okay, game? Like, no, they. Okay, I'm gonna stop you there. That is absolutely them knowing their audience. Oh, uh, like the meme, the meme audience. Yeah, yeah like yeah. yeah, they knew their audience. They knew what they were doing when they made that character creator. The entire Sonic Forces story is. Pure fan service. Like, the Sonic army, the Eggman army, like, that's fan fiction. Like, and that's absolutely that entire fan fiction community. Have you played whether Sonic Forces? Whether they're memeing or not, I haven't. Oh, okay. No, I have not played it. But I know some of the story because I was like, is that really what they're doing? And it is. I it, heard Sonic gets captured and he has to get rescued by he the gets, OC. No, there's a there's a, a line in this game. He's been tortured for yeah, months. He's been tortured. Our our Which blue just, hedgehog is being tortured by Dr. Eggman. I don't know. Sounds sounds so, like a normal wait, okay, Sonic so game. So all this actually leads to a very relevant point. Where did the Sonic memes come from? <sighs> they come from kids that played Sonic and like I don't know. Some like, of them had no, but to, like, like so- Sonic memes are like I would argue that they're like one of the core mimetic forces on the internet. I mean, there are Mario memes too, but they're just not as popular. No, that's what I'm saying. Like Sonic memes are like some of the most popular memes on the internet. It's because to be a Sonic fan, you have to make fun of your own game. You cannot. That's fair. Yeah. Be like, a Sonic fan who's serious. Even like, this uh, is a great the game. official, like what the official Sonic the Hedgehog on Twitter, mm-hmm. isn't yeah. he just constantly? Just oh, he's constantly trolling posting and memes fun of, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, making fun of Big the Cat. Like he makes fun of say, Sonic Team's missteps all the time. And I would say, um, even uh, so, let's talk about Sonic Boom gets forgotten a lot these days. I feel I like. I wonder why. Well, okay. So Sonic Boom, I, I looked into it a little. Sonic Boom was created to sell toys. Okay, yeah. I could they, believe that. The yeah. toy designers were they wanted to sell new Sonic toys, and they couldn't get kids to buy the same like simple blue hedgehog. So they had to redesign all the characters. That's why they did that first and foremost. But they That's made like a got, new TV show. Too, That's why right? we got Blue Arms. The TV show is really good and totally unrelated to the game. The TV show is unironically. I don't watch it, but I've seen clips of it, and it's very good. It's funny. Like maybe you just watch the best clips. 
I mean, even a terrible show, like, to have clips this good, the show has to have some merit. Like, Eggman calls Shadow the Hedgehog edgy in one episode. There's an episode where they're all, like, the whole team gets really excited to go buy a, it's a movie or a game, and they all get upset because they changed the color of the character's arms. Like... So they're it's like super it's a very self-aware. self-aware like, Knuckles talks about feminism in it. I know that. So like, may, so maybe like wait, wait, what? That's Sonic's yeah. maybe that's Sonic's secret strength to use its own awfulness as like a positive thing. You know, like I to just, use its own like memes. I just think as it's a like I don't know. I I know that. Okay, so a couple of things about Sonic Boom. I'm not convinced Sonic Boom was always going to be a terrible game, and let me. Explain why. Give me a minute here. So, it's made in CryEngine, I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? And it was being made for next-gen consoles that weren't out at the time. And they get most of the way through development, and Sega announces, without telling the developer, that it's going to be a Wii U exclusive. That's So the entire game was being developed do. for hardware that in CryEngine. CryEngine didn't run on the Wii U at all. They had to port it, like, completely. I mean, that kind of miscommunication is kind of unacceptable. That's classic Sega, though. At that level. See, that that's, like, why is Sega so incompetent, then? Like, yeah. they need to just but, like, get it, rid of their it had people, people. Like, it wasn't going to be a normal Sonic game, but it had people from Jack and Daxter working on it. Like, it was going to be a collectathon starring Sonic and his friends. See, and that, that would wouldn't cool. have been the worst thing in the world. Yeah. That could have been a good game. It had all the potential in the world, and Sega destroyed it. Like they do with most things. Like, I mean, some of the writing was bad and stuff. I'll give them that. But, like, I don't know. A good cartoon came out of it. Like, I don't know. I just don't think it didn't have to be bad. Sega, in t- like, I, I, it almost feels like it's intentional. That they intentionally shoot themselves in the foot it, constantly. It does seem like that. But I think it's just incompetence, dude. I think Sega is just, specifically Sonic Team, is just incompetent. I don't know. That's kind of where I, I mean, end on that. I mean, Sonic Team's original programmers all left by the end of 2006. Like, they're, the original people have been gone for almost over 10 years now. Right. Y- Yuji Naka? Is that... Yeah, Yuji he, Naka. He directed the Sonic Adventure games, right? Yuji Naka was the guy who made the original Sonic. Really? He worked on the original Sonic, so he's been there since the beginning. And he left 2006. Okay, so he did. He would have directed Sonic Adventure. Yeah. And Sonic Adventure 2, yeah. He's the one... He I think he was the one behind Big the Cat. Yuji Naka's got almost Toriyama-level, like, Akira Toriyama, yeah, the I'm, maker of Dragon Ball. His name carries a lot of weight. But he also, like, the, the way Toriyama, like, takes his characters and just kind of, like, improvises questions, or improvises answers to questions. Like, there's one point um, in Sonic Adventure 2, Eggman blows up, like, half the moon. And then in the intro to Shadow the Hedgehog, you look up, and, like, there's some continuity between these games, but the moon's fine. Like, yeah. you look up, and somebody asked him that, and he, his answer was that the moon had rotated, and that's why you couldn't see. The moon doesn't, like... That's a great deflection, I guess. The moon doesn't <laughs> rotate. Like, yeah, it I doesn't. know, but... <laughs> it's, like... I don't know. That's that's a very Toriyama-esque response. They just don't care about continuity, yeah. is what I'm saying. Like, he got put on the spot, but, like, somebody who really loves their franchise, I feel like, puts in the work to not, like, have huge... Like, the moon got blown up, and he forgot, like... I'm pretty sure something similar happened in Dragon Ball, too. Like, they pic- wished the moon back, no, no, I'm pretty no, sure. No, Piccolo blew up the moon. They wished the moon back after Roshi blew it up, but then Piccolo blew it up, too, and then it just was fine <laughs> afterwards. But regardless, yeah. Like, Ugh. Sonic has had a history. Sonic 3, originally, I remember people 
at one point before Sonic Mania release, we're like, Sonic 3 is the peak of the series. You can't get any better. Then Sonic Mania comes out, and it's like, well, I mean, it that's, did get better. That's a peak, like, at, what, 15, 20 years yeah, later? Yeah, it was like 20 years later. But it peaked again. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Sonic Mania... Sonic Mania is not the end of 2D Sonic. Like, there's oh, going to be not. more... Especially, you know, they're definitely looking at sales for Sonic Mania and Critical right. Acclaim. They're going to make more. Right, I, it would be insane not to, and hopefully they do a but full original game instead Sega of remaking levels. Is insane after no. the failure. <laughs> That's right, what Sega you're not considering. After the failure of Sonic Four, which was their attempted cash in on a 2D Sonic game, I was kind of convinced that 2D Sonic was dead. Well, that was a Sega attempt, though, right? Not a. I don't Whitehead. believe so. That was a that was an external studio. I oh, believe. okay, okay. I mean, Sega does have these insane requirements that for classic Sonic and modern Sonic to appear in the same game. Time travel must be involved. Is that like a? a That's a, a design rule? specification. Yeah, they, they they had to have time travel in Sonic Forces because classic Sonic's in it. Yeah, Sega's just insane. It cannot. <laughs> they cannot be the same game unless they're time travel. Those two universe. There is a continuity there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sad part is that there are no 3D Sonic fan games that have had any popularity yet. Um, there are a couple of attempts that are decent, like. I'll just list some off right now. Sonic Utopia, probably the best I've played. Because um, I, I just, like, when Sonic Mania came out, I got interested. So I looked into, like, are there any 3D fan games? Like, can I look forward to a 3D Sonic game again? What about the Unleashed project for Sonic Generations? That's that's a mod. That's not really it's a fan game. It's such a good mod, though. It is a good mod, but it's not original it's levels. Sonic Utopia is pretty good. It's made in Unity. Um, just, I, I don't have anything but praise for it. It's just good. It plays, like... Like, they totally ignore Sonic's entire 3D history and take another swing at it. So how have these games not been shut down yet? Sega just doesn't. <laughs> Sega loves fan games. Yeah, Sega loves fan Sega games. Sega doesn't care. Okay. They don't care. Um, well, good for them. But um, there's Sonic Utopia. There's Sonic World, which is terrible, but has a Chow Garden, so I play it anyway sometimes. Because um, it's the best Chow Garden. It's better than Sonic Adventure 2, probably. That's pretty crazy. Okay. Um, there's Sonic Robo Blast 2, which is made in the Doom engine. <laughs> Wait, is is it fast? It is fast. Oh, do you shoot people? You can shoot rings in multiplayer, I think. Oh my god. But it's actually decent, but it's... I mean, obviously there are huge problems with using a Doom engine for so a Sonic game. So, I, I have a question for you. It's pretty important. Are you or are you not under the Sonic trance right now? Am I under the Sonic <laughs> trance right now? I am not. Okay. Because if you are, all of this has to be taken with a grain of salt. Nah. Sonic Robo Blast 2 is not a good game, and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but... It's an interesting game, and, like, if you have a spare afternoon, like, you can play through it. Wait, there was a RoboBlast 1, though. There was no ro- RoboBlast 1. <laughs> why, why is it 2, then? I think there was, like, a Sonic RoboBlast 1, but it's not... It's been scrubbed from the internet. Like, I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> I've looked. Because I was like... I don't know. It's secretly the greatest game of all time, and they took it down. Because it would just make all their video games obsolete. But, yeah. Um, there, oh, are, there are no... There's no real team that Sega could recruit to make a 3D Sonic right now. Nobody's figured well, it out. Well, as with most things, I think a good 3D Sonic is probably coming. You know, probably not from Sega. But, like, I think it's coming. I think they saw what they did with Christian Whitehead, outsourcing, like, the development to him, and the su- success they had with that. And I think they'd probably want to follow follow suit, because there definitely is a hunger for a good 3D Sonic game. Right, and that's coming from me. <laughs> it's ninety percent coming from Connor. No, but no, like 
realistically, there is a hunger for it because the Sonic trance is a very real thing. Like, there's still people out there that just irrationally love Sonic. Yeah. Which... I mean, I just want another Shell Garden, okay? Yeah. You can... That would be fantastic. You can give it to me in any form. Like, if the next Sonic... If the next Sonic Mania had a Chow Garden, I I wouldn't need other video games. Game over, yeah. Yeah. I would just be playing that forever. But yeah, I don't know. It's, uh... I'm kind of excited and a little scared to see where Sonic goes in the future, because it could do great things or just be a giant pile of doo-doo. I don't know. I think Sonic's much more interesting to keep track of than, like, Mario. Yeah, I mean, Mario... Because Mario's, Mario's going to be good every time. Yeah, that's boring. You know, Mario's boring because it's consistently excellent. Well, you know? it's consistently really good. Super Mario Bros... New Super Mario Bros. U was not that great. Uh, new Super Mario Bros. But even, so, 2 was also pretty bad. But if New Super Mario Bros. U is, like, the lowest... But if it didn't have the Mario name attached to it, it wouldn't have sold anything. Yeah, but like it wasn't good. Yeah, but but like let's just say compared to Sonic, it's like night and day. Oh yeah. Like at this point, quality wise, um, yeah. Like Sonic has bad games. Mario has okay games. Yeah. Mar, you like and nor and obviously Mario's excellent games are leagues above Sonic's games. Yeah. I mean, even um, even back then, Super Mario Bros. Three is a far better platformer in my opinion than any old Sonic game. Sonic Mania might be competitive, but... All of Nintendo's franchises have never, like, a lot of the big first party have not had a bad game other than Metroid. Yeah, Metroid's had a bad oh, game. Other than Metroid. Legend of Zelda hasn't had an awful game ever. And as far as I can remember, there hasn't been an awful game that wasn't good in its own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Nintendo holds their franchises in much higher regard than Sonic. Unless you're Samus. <laughs> See, I don't know. Sonic's... Sonic's just got like that trashy vibe to it, you know. I just it, don't. It just does. I've, I'm. I, it just. The does. pain with Sonic Boom's been renewed in me recently. Now that I found out that it could have been good. Yeah. You know. I think that right there captures all of Sonic in a nutshell. It could have been good. Yeah. Sonic 06 could have been good if they would have you know, right. spent more. I think than no. A year. I think that's the perfect place to leave it. Could have been good. <laughs> could have been good. Could have been good. All right. So, as always, we end. By talking about games we play or games we recommend, um, I'll go first. <clears throat> I've been playing Dragon Ball Fighters, and I think yeah, Connor has great as well. game. Yeah, it's um, so Dragon Ball Fighters is uh, a competitive fighting game uh, that has a beautiful art style that looks exactly like the Dragon Ball Z anime. It's insane uh, how they do it. The gameplay mechanics are very Dragon Ball Z as well. You're kicking people into mountains, firing beams that like blow up planets, and like, and it's just such a blast and such a spectacle to play. The roster is a little small, but each character feels completely unique and distinct. And the beautiful thing about this game is that the characters are easy to pick up and play, and, and like do cool stuff with. But all of them have a certain depth to them where you can spend the time and effort to learn their ins and outs and really sort of master them. So it's a good sort of bridge for casual um, Dragon Ball Z fans and, like, hardcore fighting game fans alike. Yeah, I agree with that. It's definitely bringing a lot of Dragon Ball fans into fighting games and a lot of fighting game fans into Dragon Ball. Which I didn't think would be possible in 2018 for people to just now get into Dragon Ball. Yeah, right? But like, I've heard multiple stories of people being interested interested in this game from like an art and mechanics standpoint and being like, okay, Dragon Ball looks kind of cool. Let me go back and figure out what all of this Dragon Ball stuff is about, which is just awesome. 
And I think Fighter Z actually made it into Evo over Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. It did. It did. Yeah. Like, it's Marvel going to be a huge competitive game. Marvel vs. Capcom has been around since the beginning of Evo, and well, Infinite was a garbage, complete trash game, and it got replaced with a be- way better game. That's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Fighters is very fun. Yeah, it's a blast. I'm terrible at it. Yeah, oh, so am I. And also, one negative is that I've the online, the whole online infrastructure has been kind of spotty for me. And I've yeah, heard that. I agree with that. Online, or I've heard that just perusing the internet, a lot of people share the same thoughts. But hopefully, they'll iron all that out soon and make it a stable experience. But yeah, it's a great game. Um, Michael. So I've been playing Subnautica. It is the most relaxing yet horrifying game you'll ever play. You start off crashing on an ocean planet in the middle of a shallow reef. There, everything's peaceful. There's these things that, that uh, fart gas. You get near them, they'll poison you. Don't swim behind them. Uh, then you start venturing outwards, and that's where the terror begins because there are things that want to eat you, and all you have is a knife, and that's it. Nothing ever else. So you go, you get your submarines, you get your things. Things will still eat you in your submarines. You start to get to the caves, and that's where the horror ramps up to 11 because the ghostly moans and everything. But I digress. You complete the game. There's a fish called the Cuttlefish that you can hug before you leave and wave goodbye, and it's great, and it's cute, and it's the best thing in that game <laughs> because the rest of it has me has me uh, wishing I had better pants. <laughs> and uh, then you escape. So yeah. it's like it's like an exploration slash survival slash horror game. Is that fair to say? Yes. I've uh, been interested in picking it up for its VR. Uh, oh, it has VR I too. Touched it does VR. have VR. Oh my yeah. gosh, that I would be incredible. I would need to be firmly planted in a bathroom if there was VR. Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no hope. I actually discovered the other day. I was just perusing my Steam library. I have Subnautica. I guess I picked it up during a humble bundle <laughs> really? sale. So That's I downloaded funny. that immediately, and I plan on playing it. I love exploration-based games. And, I'm a little jealous. I wish I had. Uh, you know, kind of being soured on No Man's Sky after having really big expectations. This one seems like it delivers from what I've seen, so I'm pretty excited to it play it. It does deliver. There are giant monsters that I will not spoil the name and I will not spoil their location because when you hear them, you will, you will, you will be afraid. Because, <laughs> God, they're scary looking. Uh, Connor, what about you? All right. Um, I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It's not... It's really... I'm enjoying it, but uh, it's not a genre of game that I play a whole lot. I'm not a big JRPG kind of guy. And um, I almost was very upset that I had it, like, at the beginning. Because it's, it's probably ten hours before the game starts being fun at all. Uh, and luckily, I just happened to have that time over <laughs> Christmas break. Uh, and wasn't doing anything else, I guess. I don't know. I really don't know how I got through it. But, like, once once the mechanics start picking up, it's actually an interesting game. The story's not bad. Um, I uh, It's it's made me a l- pretty sad a couple of times with the story. It's, uh, I don't know, I feel attached to the characters. It's on Switch, which is always a plus. I love having games on my Switch. I'm thinking about going back and playing the other Xenoblade games. My girlfriend has them. So. Um... I definitely have intentions to play Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I've heard really good things about the characters in that game. Um, so, I don't know. Like From what I've heard, it seems like a world worth exploring and uh, a story worth experiencing. That's definitely an interesting game. Uh, it's pretty much all I have to say about it. It's pretty good. 
Um, wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10. It's probably like six and a half, seven for me. I'd give it a 10-hour tutorial out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely loses a lot of points for the slow start, but I think yeah. that's that's a JRPG trope. I don't yeah, think I, the original I, Xenoblade had a slow start. I kind of like I'm a I'm a kind of a weird player where I like kind of those slow burns because I feel like the payoff is worth it at the end. So I think it's definitely something I would appreciate, but I could definitely I definitely see how that's not a very popular thing to have. But yeah, cool. I mean, sometimes a tutorial doesn't need to last ten minutes or ten hours. Yeah, it definitely felt like it was dragging on. Yeah. Like, I, I understood the mechanics, and it kept beating me over the head with it for a while. Like, I swear there were three boss Too fights. Too Three boss fights included in the tutorial, it felt like. Like, mm. I don't know. but well. it, And, like, I don't know. There were many hours before you even unlocked, like, the game's main mechanic. <laughs> so it was, it was a little weird. Hmm. Like, How long do you anticipate this game being? Maybe it's just, like, a oh, really slow Oh, I hear it's, like, 200 burn. hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, from what okay. I've read. So I'm never going to finish it, but, you know. Okay. I mean, I've watched an entire playthrough of the original Xenoblade Chronicles, and that took me a day and a half because it was a complete playthrough without the grinding. Still took me a day and a half of watching it nonstop. Yeah. It was They're a long, long games. Run. Yeah. JRPGs tend to be on the longer side, but yeah. Okay, thanks for listening. That'll do it for us this time, uh, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.